Thank you, Jeff and team. We appreciate you, and thank you for being here today. It's great to have you in the Lord's house this uh, July the 10th, and uh, we are still not only on track, but slightly ahead in the worship center, so we may be here, give or take, another few weeks, another month, but things are looking great, and um, I tell you what, it's very exciting what God's doing. If you did not receive your little chalice with the bread and the juice for communion, we are taking communion today, and if you would like to participate, deacons are ready to hook you up if you happen to slip through without them getting it to you. Does anybody need this? Would you just raise a hand real quick? Right up here, guys, several over here and over there, good. Keep them up. We're going to take a picture and say, look at how many got saved today. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, we do want to make sure everybody that needs it gets it, so wave one of these deacons down. Guys, I appreciate you so much being such faithful servants here and such uh, good and godly fellows. Uh, thank you all for what you do. Uh, we'll do this a little later, but um, I want to put up the splash screen on our series uh, series title called Genesis Factor Fiction. And I know it's a little harder in these days because we don't have the center screen. When we get back, we'll have it. So if you're watching online, excuse me today. We're going to be using the screens a lot more because I know it's been hard for people to catch up on their notes for note takers. So we're going to leave the splash screens up quite a bit longer. But I want you to ponder that for just a second, especially if you're new here. We've been doing this since January. Uh, give or take, we've had some seasons off, but we're now entering chapter four, and I've been submitting that if Genesis is fact, it not only changes your life today, it changes everything that's coming too. If this is real, if what we're reading about the creation of man, how we got here, our fall into sin, what happens as a result of that, if this is true, it changes everything. It changes life, it changes eternity. And so I want to uh, go on and look at a verse together. We're learning a verse in every chapter. Let's look at Genesis 4-7 together, okay? Genesis 4-7. And let's just say it together, all right? Join me. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The Bible is very clear that once our parents fall, we all inherit a sin nature. The desire of sin, like um, a crouching lion, like one who's ready to pounce, it's there. And if you open the door, in fact, I'm going to say if you crack the door, sin is going to get you. But you can, as a child of God, rule over it. Now, you see, what we learned last week is that God is the perfect balance of holiness and love. We talked about punishment and provision. And I told you, because of God's holiness, he's always going to punish sin. But because of God's love, he alone is going to provide your salvation. So the same God who punishes you is the God who provides for you. Not terribly unlike an earthly father who may need to discipline or punish you, but he still provides what you need. And so today, we're going to shift into chapter 4 on this subject. The favor of God. The favor of God. Let me show you this beautiful slide they created. This, uh, this image here, I don't know, it just got me when I saw this. When our graphic person worked that up, I thought, man, look at that. That looks like if you were walking that trail or in that country or maybe, maybe you could uh, trout fish that stream there below that waterfall, that looks like the hand of God right there. We walked in the house the other night. Uh, I don't even remember what we'd been out doing, but it had been storming. We came in and through our back glass, we saw this beautiful rainbow 
at the back glass. And then we walked outside and actually discovered it's a double rainbow. And I thought, Lord, what a blessing, your promise in the sky that you would never again destroy the earth by water. And I know how that's been taken over and claimed by others, but listen, the rainbow is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Don't let the world have it, man. It's a picture from God. And I thought, Lord, what a beautiful thing you've given. And you know, it's just this area too, guys. I gotta say, having been a lot of places, having preached on every inhabited continent of this globe, I'll just tell you, East Tennessee is an awesome place to call home. And it's not just because the orange, Vol fans, chill out. It's just, this is a beautiful place. Did you know the Great Smokies National Park is visited twice more than the next most visited park in our country? People flock here by the millions from all over. They're really flocking from the West Coast. God bless you. We're glad you're here. Don't bring crazy with you. But listen, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> I want to talk about God's favor, but I don't want to do it like the Word of Faith pastors have done it. I don't want to do it like name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to say just speak it and it comes to be. I want to teach us about the favor of God according to the Bible. I didn't say earning God's favor. I didn't say deserving, deserving God's favor. I just want to live my life, and I use this phrase a lot because I like the imagery of it. I want to live my life in a way that puts a smile on God's face. I want God to be pleased. And the Bible's often giving God anthropomorphic qualities, qualities of human beings with bodies. And so I just want my father to smile. I think what more could a church or a school or ministry want than to have the hand of God and the favor of God on them? Don't you want God to favor your family? Don't you want God to favor your children? Don't you want God to be pleased with you? I got to thinking about something we had done for our church many years ago. And so... Um, we found some of these seeds back at home, and I had Cindy put a few on a card for me. How many of you guys know, I'll walk to this camera, how many of you guys know what this kind of seed is right there? Anybody know? Yeah, that's a mustard seed. See how tiny, tiny, tiny that thing is? Years ago, uh, Cindy and our kids put mustard seeds on hundreds of cards, and we gave them to our church family. I was preaching on the parable of the mustard seed, and I asked them to keep them in their Bible. Because do you know what God says? He says, you need faith. And I need faith like this. And if you have faith like this, do you know what the Bible says? You can actually move mountains. And so some of you have come in today and you feel like you have little to no faith. If you have a little bit, little in the hands of God becomes much. Little in your hands becomes much in God's hands. I'll come back to that later in this message. But I, 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 have, I pulled this out. Not only because I was thinking about that series, but I got to thinking about this seed. If you didn't know this was a mustard seed, what we would do is we'd plant this, and the roots would start to grow down, and eventually the tree or the mustard bush would begin to grow up. And it would take a while for you, unless you were a specialist in this area, to realize this was a mustard seed. But I'll guarantee you, you plant this, you are not going to get an apple tree. You are not going to get oranges or lemons or pears or peaches. You are just not going to get that because the Bible is very clear. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, whatever you put in, that shall he also reap, get out. Whatever you put in the ground, if you plant corn, you are not getting lima beans. Praise God. You're getting corn, okay? Uh, don't like lima beans. If you do, don't cook them for me. God bless you. Okay, so the root goes down, the fruit comes up. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because in Genesis 3, what we witnessed when Adam and Eve fell into sin was we witnessed the root of sin. We witnessed the seed of sin being planted by the serpent, 
Adam and Eve allowing it in their hearts and through their actions to take root. So in Genesis 3, we see the root of sin. In Genesis 4, we see the fruit of sin. What grew down now starts to grow up. And in your life today, if you are allowing sin and Satan to take root in your life, eventually there will be fruit that will be visible to other people. We're going to see it in the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 3, we have human beings sinning against God by disobeying his word. In Genesis 4, we have human beings sinning against one another, literally brother against brother. That's what happens. When the seed of sin gets planted, our sin nature means that it grows down and it takes root and then inevitably it grows up. It's like I tell my kids, one of their activities at home would be weeding. We have quite a few natural areas and places where, especially with all the rain we've got in the last few days, they were out the other day, and they're weeding. Any of you that have gardens, any of you that have natural areas where you want the weeds out, is it okay to go by and just pull and don't worry about what's under the ground? Let me just get the stuff on top. Is that going to work? Because what's going to happen a few days later? It's going to be right back. What do you got to do? You got to pull it out by the root, man. You got to get down in there. You got to get on it. It's no different with sin. If you just kind of try to keep cutting it and covering it, it'll spring up faster and bigger than you ever thought possible. This is what we see. Now, we're just going to focus on a few of the opening verses, but I really want to read all of it so that you get the context of the story. So we're going to read to verse 15. You guys stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And let's go 1 to 15, okay? Bible says, now Adam knew his wife. Everybody got that? Okay. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. That's a play on his name. And she bore again, and this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, end of days, we don't know what that means. It's a generic Hebrew phrase that means it was a while. So many years passed because these guys obviously grew up. And it says, Ab- uh, I'm sorry, it says, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. It doesn't mean fruit necessarily. It's probably grain or something. He was a tiller of the ground. So whatever sprung up, could have been grain, could have been corn, but he brought of that fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect or favor, that word, have pleasure in or favor, Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. You could see it all over him. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Well, watch this, Cain. You should rule over it. But sadly, no, he doesn't rule over sin. Sin rules over him. Here's the manifestation of it, the fruit. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So the first recorded murder. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? Again, all this rhetorical, God knows. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive, a vagabond, a wanderer, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. 
I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Obviously, the family's been expanding. There's been a multiplication happening. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a fascinating piece of Scripture. It really teaches us how quickly sin can gain a foothold. And how it can manifest itself in something most egregious as murder. I pray that you'd open our hearts, Lord. And and instead of pointing fingers and saying, look at old wicked Cain. Help us to see that there's a little Cain in each of us. And that we need to stamp out sin and rule over it. Lest it consume us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys. So if you're, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you point one, then I'm quickly going to give you the subpoints one and two so that the bullet points, if you will. What I'm saying is the same thing three ways. And the reason I want to throw out three statements on the wall is I'm wanting one of them to stick for you. I want one of these statements to stick. So try to memorize one of these at least, or at least the concept, all right? And I'll try to explain what I mean because I'm partly this message is what I call corrective teaching or preaching, I just feel like a lot of guys have handled this passage wrong. And I feel like a lot of the teaching has been directed at the offering over the man. And I want to redirect the the text to the man over the offering. Not that the offering's not important, but I've said it like this. And we'll keep this up for a few minutes for you to get it all down. God cares about the faith in your heart more than the gift in your hand. That's a super important concept, the idea of faith. We'll come back and it'll be the way we book in the message today. God cares about the faith in your heart more than the gift in your hand. I'll say it another way. God cares about your character more than your contribution. I'm going to say it another way. God cares about your attitude more than your amount. Now, if you're out there this morning sinning and robbing God, we're not talking about your tithes and offerings. So don't go there. Don't go, ooh, I'm so glad. That's good. I've just been given a dollar a week. Praise Jesus. That's fine if you give a dollar a week when you make $10 a week. That's okay. That's all right. But I'm not really talking about this. I'm not really talking about what you traditionally think of when you think of pastors talking about giving. That's not this. But the concepts are related. And what I mean by that is, guys, God is looking inside the, the amount, the contribution, the gift, yes, those are important, but they are not half as important as what's going on on the inside. What I'm going to try to teach here is a matter of priority, that how you give time, talent, treasure, we'll come back to that next week, all that you give God, all that you give him, anything you've got, how you give is so much more important than what you give. Years and years ago, I loved to sing, but instead of really singing for the Lord, I knew that a lot of times I was trying to sing for myself. That wasn't pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit of God had to get all over me to say, Lewis, you're wasting this blessing. If you're doing it for you or the applause of men, you're wasting it. But before I unpack that further, we got to kind of do verse one, right? I'll give you a freebie. You ready? Adam knew his wife. Everybody understand that? Big boys and girls. A common idiom for sexual relations in the New Testament. New meant to have sexual intercourse with. And it's significant because it speaks of sex in a way that is obscured in contemporary culture. Now let me give you this free point before we jump into the other stuff. Because this is super critical in our world today. To know a person in the sense that the Hebrew language was using really contradicts the modern notion that sex can be casual and satisfying. 
What you really have to have for a sexual relationship to be satisfying, to, be, to bring true joy and contentment, is that rightly understood, sex is knowing a person at the deepest level of intimacy, taking within context the time to know them, not just their body, but them, making a commitment to know them in all of their dimensions. Now, I won't say any more than that because children in the room, but I will say that it is an important concept that there was time involved in getting to know. And out of that beautiful union that happened in marriage, remember, Eve is Adam's wife. Never does the Bible condone sexual relationship outside of marriage. Never. It doesn't allow for that. That's called fornication. But what we find is that she was given a gift. His name, gotten or acquired, means Cain was a gift from God. It is like Eve is saying, God in his very name, I express my gratitude. With our daughter Hannah, her name means grace. Now her middle name is Grace, so she'll never forget. It's Grace Grace. And so we're expressing, God, thank you for the grace of this third daughter that you gave us. Thank you for the grace. And so in Cain, because all of these Hebrew names are highly important, they have great meaning, this reminds us that God was not through with mankind. Yeah, we messed up, but God said, I'm going to keep you going. So the first recorded birth is a man named Cain. The second is named Abel. Now it's interesting, did you notice in verse two, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Meaning this, Cain is gonna be the focus of the story. And the reason for that is the writer says his brother. It doesn't say Eve's second, it says his brother. It's pointing us toward, pay attention to this guy Cain, something's up. Abel, not quite as cool a name. It means breath or vapor, but it can also mean nothingness or vanity. How would you like to be named Little Nothingness? Here he is, Little Vanity. Well, why? I think Eve may be understanding that there's something painful involved in the birth of this second child. She probably doesn't know what, but God has spoken and given her this son through uh, the, the act of procreation with, with uh, Adam, and now we have Abel. And the Bible goes on to tell us that, well... Cain, he, he worked the ground, but Abel, he worked with livestock. He was a tender of the sheep. And so it's really very interesting here. We get their names, we get their occupations, we get all of that in the first couple of verses. It's important in light of what's to come. But look at verses 3 and 4. In the process of time, we have no idea how long it was, but they had grown up at least to be teenagers, if not older. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering from the ground, an offering of fruit of the ground. So what came up? Well, that makes sense to me. That was his job. And then it says, and also Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock in their fat. Interesting. Preachers pretty much my whole life have said, see, it's about the blood offering. Because you bring the blood offering, that's what God was looking for. Uh, the problem with that. Number one, does God call for this offering? Did you read it? Did God call for the offering? No. So that's an argument from silence. Number two, does God accept both blood and grain or ground offerings in the Bible? Yes, he does. In fact, he says to the very poor, he says that I will accept your grain offering or your flour offering in place of your blood offering. Now, we understand that blood is important. We understand the place. We're taking communion today. We know the value of blood. But we also know that animal blood will ultimately never take away human sin. And so what we have here is this argument from silence a lot of preachers have tried to make. And commentators have basically said, look, 
You know, God required this and God expected that, but there is no recording of that. It would more appear to me that Cain is trying to say, thank you, God, for the provision of this grain or fruit of the ground, whatever you call it. And it would be, it seemed to me that Abel is saying, thank you, God, for uh, the, these animals. I recognize them as a gift from your hand. That's what it would seem to me. But there is a nuanced difference, right? The Bible says that Abel bought of the firstborn of the flock. That would be considered the best. And he brought of the fat. Now what's up with that? How many of you guys, I don't mean a nice marbled piece of steak, I mean maybe steak or something that has the fat on the edge or ham with fat on the edge. How many of you guys wanna cut that off and dig in and eat that first? You do? Oh, you're weird. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like the taste of it, but I know I probably shouldn't, so I put it off. How many of you guys take that part and throw it away? A lot of you throw it away. Oh, In antiquity, what was most important, what was considered most valuable was the fat. Remember, these people aren't eating a tremendous amount of things. They're not running down to Publix or Kroger or Ingalls. They are having to do it all themselves. And so the fat was most important. In fact, it would be reserved for the Lord. It would be reserved at times for the priest. You would want all the fat you can get. So there is a nuance that the Bible articulates here that it's about the first of the flock and the fat. But I'm still not buying the argument that that's why God accepted Abel and that's why God rejected Cain. In fact, I think it's much more nuanced than that and much more important. In fact, I don't think that's the main point at all because the Bible never tells me that's the main point. The text stresses the fact that the person giving the offering was acceptable or not. It's stressed in the order of the language, in the way the Hebrew is written. It is stressed in the New Testament. I'll show you in just a few moments. It's stressed in both places. Now, what happens here when God respects, or the word could be in Hebrew, God favors Abel's offering, actually it doesn't say that, look at it with me. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat into verse four, and the Lord respected Abel, that was first, and his offering. Then it said the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. So the man was before the offering. But then notice what happens immediately at the end of verse five. And Cain was very angry. He was hot. He was seething. The language there is pretty dynamic. He was on fire, and you could see it all over him. His countenance fell. You ever seen anybody that was uh, playing the part of worshiper and something happened they didn't like and their countenance fell? They're like, oh, the real person comes out. Hmm. Very interesting. You see, what we find here is that God is looking more at the man and the heart. And their name is even mentioned before their offering. Now, have any of you guys, let's be honest with each other, it's just us here. We won't show the hands that were likely raised or your faces. They can't see your faces from back there. Have you ever given anybody a gift because you had to and you were obligated, but you didn't really want to? Anybody? Anybody? And the rest of you are like, yeah. Don't look at anybody. Just look at me. We've probably all given a gift out of obligation over adoration. We've probably all sort of grudgingly just kind of here, right? We've probably all done that at times. If that person knew that you gave that gift, but you really didn't want to, how would they feel about it? Would they be like, oh, what a wonderful thing. Thank you so much. Or would they be like, look, I don't really want that. 
I think most of the time, depending on the gift, now if it's a million dollars, they're probably like, I don't care how you feel about it. But they probably care about the heart behind the gift. You know, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that man looks at the outward appearance, what we have on the outside, but God looks at the what? At the heart. We inspect people from the outside because that's all we really have the ability to see unless the inside comes out, right? Remember what Matt was talking about when you get bumped, what comes out, right? I talked about that a while back. If you get spilled out or you get knocked over, what comes out? Well, you know, Jehovah, God, respected. He looked upon Abel and his gift. That's kind of the language here. He looked upon it. He favored it. And then he looked upon Cain and his gift. The look of God seems to be this visible sign of satisfaction. It isn't that God likes meat more than grain. The point is the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging one. God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. I talked to you about it last week. One who gives with hilarity. One who loves to give with an open hand. Again, not just stuff, but all of himself. Yes, Abel brings select portions of the first of the young animals, but, but Cain brings grain. I don't know how you bring that first fruit of grain. Maybe what comes out of the ground first. I don't know. But his heart seems to be hostile. Now look at this. I wrote it like this. Watch. Cain seems to be a religious pretender. Look at that. I think this is the first recorded, I don't know, religious activity, if you will. You might argue that, well, Adam and Eve being intimate was an act of worship. That's true. Actually, God says that that gift between husband and wife is an act of worship before the Lord. It is a gift from God, but that's not in the classic sense of what we think, sort of religious activity. But bringing an offering to God is kind of at its core a religious activity. But here, Cain seems to be pretending because there seems to be no pleasure in his worship. As soon as God says, well, that's not exactly uh, how I want wanted it to be broad or whatever, however he found out that God looked at Abel but did not look to him. God favored Abel but did not favor him. He gets angry. He gets hot. He said, but how do you know, pastor, that God cares about the faith in your heart more than the gift in your hand? How do you know that you know? Well, the, the first rule of interpreting the Bible, the first rule of what we call hermeneutics is this. Scripture interprets Scripture. So the way I'm going to understand this passage, is there anything about it or like it in another passage? Yeah, actually there is. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's this famous chapter called the roll call or the hall of faith. And what you have are all these incredible people, Abraham, Moses, David, Samson, even Rahab and others. You have all of these people listed by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But the very first one mentioned... The very first one out of the gate where all of these famous Old Testament characters are named is, look at it with me, Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God, look, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You might say, oh, there it is. It's all about the sacrifice. No, no, no. Keep reading. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Not that the gift was righteous, that he was righteous. The gift revealed on the outside what the heart was doing on the inside. The gift, the external manifestation, was simply proof that Abel was a more righteous man. To be righteous, to be right with God. That's all it means, to be right with God. God testifying of his gifts, not just the one, 
but the gifts of Abel, his heart, then his hands, and through, and through it, he being dead, Abel's dead, but he still speaks, sounds like some others in scripture, Abraham and David and Moses, though dead, they still speak. Of course, they're alive with the Lord, but the point is his faith, his trust in God spoke volumes. And so I just kind of made it real simple. The last thing I want you to get on your notes for today is this. The favor of God comes by faith. If you want God's hand on you, if you want the hand of God on your children, if we desire to see the hand of God stay on his church, on his school, on the ministries of grace, we have got to believe. We believe God is and God is a rewarder of all who diligently seek him. We trust in the Lord. We believe that God wants better for us than we could even want for ourselves. And the problem you see is not so much in what Cain is offering, the problem is in Cain himself. Cain's sacrifice seems to be almost an attempt to appease God than an act of true faith and worship. Listen to 1 John 3, it talks about Cain. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians. We should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Remember what God said, Cain, Cain, you just do the right thing, you can rule over sin. But if you're not careful, the seed of sin gets planted, it grows down, and inevitably it will grow up because it is right there crouched ready to pounce on you, ready to tangle you up, ready to tie you down. Abel's offering was better to God because it was based on faith. There's never an indication that Cain's offering was based on faith. It was simply based on his own works. By faith, Abel offered to God. Now that's a good place for me to transition. Because there were some acts that Christ gave us in the New Testament. There were two specifically one you guys have already witnessed this morning, that is to show on the outside through baptism what God's done on the inside. Baptism is a picture of being dead to self and to sin and being raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. I don't care if he stays or she, they're beautiful. It's okay with me. I can get louder. Bye, sweet girl. We got another one coming, did I tell you? Okay, Sophia's on the way. So here's the deal. Baptism is a picture you saw. It is a picture of that death and burial and resurrection. It is a picture also of being cleansed, of renewed and refreshed, that God's done on the inside what I could not do. So I'm going to show you on the outside that I identify with Christ. I am his and he is mine. Baptism is a beautiful picture. And if you have not been biblically baptized, that is by immersion after your salvation, then you need to get right with God. But if you have been biblically baptized, the second ordinance or command or order that Jesus gave was this thing called the Lord's Supper. In a, in a city called Corinth, we've been to ancient Corinth, it's a fascinating place of ruin now, but in antiquity, uh, Corinth had some good things going for it, but the people, they started trying to vie for who's first, who's better, who's number one. And even in communion, back then it was much more of a meal. 
a feast, if you will. And the communion element was part of it. But they begin to push and shove and make themselves first. And Paul's like, man, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Some of y'all are even coming and drinking so much that you're getting drunk at communion. That says something about the wine, by the way. Don't throw stones, Baptist. I'm just speaking truth. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. Paul was trying to say, you think it's all about you. It's not about you. It's about the faith you have in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so like Abel, who was right with God because of his faith, when we come to the Lord's table in a moment, the only way we're going to be right with God is by our faith. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, in the same manner after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. But then he gave them a very stark warning. If you continue to read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... It's all about you, gotta be first. If you drink it in an unworthy manner, you're gonna be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man or woman, a person, examine themselves, and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. See, you're not discerning the Lord's body. Cain brings an offering. Isn't that a good thing? Not if it's done with the wrong motive. But I'm coming to take communion. Isn't taking communion a good thing? Not if your heart's not right with the Lord. In fact, if your heart's not right with the Lord, don't you dare open this thing up. Don't you dare partake. If you haven't been obedient to God, I didn't say perfect, but if you are not right before God, this says, because you have done this, many are weak and sick and many sleep among you. What does that mean? That means Christian people were dying because they presumed upon the Lord's body and his blood. That's why I say in communion, this stuff is deadly serious, guys. This is deadly serious. What I want you to understand is that when we come to the Lord's table, we come by faith. When I look at this piece of bread, I don't believe this bread does anything to save me. I don't believe this bread infuses grace to me. I don't believe it gives me anything other than a visible testimony and recall to remember what Jesus has done for me and for you. And if you will think about it for a moment, we'll show you these pictures we've taken of this unleavened bread. If you think about this, this was used in Exodus 12 when God told the people of Israel through Moses, I'm going to deliver you from slavery. See, sin is slavery. You are enslaved to sin and Satan. And he said, I'm going to pass over your house. I will not kill the firstborn in your house if the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost and the lintel. You know what I've always found interesting is that the Lord never went door to door and knocked and looked inside and said, hey, are the occupants here worthy of this salvation or not? God never checked for their individual worthiness. God only looked for the blood applied. If the blood was applied the firstborn was saved. If the blood was not there, regardless of how good a person they were, 
the death angel came to visit. So when Jesus held this up and he talked to these boys about his own body, imagine what he was saying. In the way that this is striped and bruised and even pierced through because it had to be baked very, very quickly. And so it didn't rise. Leaven was a rising agent like it would be today. We'd call it yeast. But he said, you don't even have time to let the bread rise. I'm going to deliver you that quickly. And so on this particular night, the Lord Jesus comes before his disciples and he says, fellas, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you that this is my body and it's broken for you. Now what I want us to do is I want us to come before the Lord and pray and thank him for this bread, but I also want us to take a few minutes in the context of this prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. You know if you're a child of God or not. You know if you've trusted Christ. You know if you've been obedient to the first step of public witness, which is baptism. You know if there's a little bit of cane left in you this morning. You know if there's a pocket of hatred or a grudge, a sin that you have held on to. You know. And the Bible says you need to confess it and be done with it so you can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, God, would you examine each of our hearts this morning? God, could we be sure that we are coming as worthy men and women and boys and girls that have said yes to Jesus? We believe him. We come by faith. We come and bring the gift of time and talent and earthly treasure, not because we have to, but because we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And if there's anything in our hearts that would keep us from taking this worthily today, cleanse it as we confess it. Cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Bury it in the sea of forgetfulness. Help us to come to you, Lord, as men and women who are ready to receive, not pushing our way to the front of the line, but humbling ourselves because you have told us those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Cain was humbled, but the hatred that he had didn't just start that day. Clearly, there was a seed of sin that was growing down manifesting in the fruit of his unrighteousness. May it not be so among us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being willing to take the nails that belonged in our hands, to take the thorns that belonged on our brow, to take the whip that belonged against our back, to take our place and our punishment, to bear our sin and our shame, to take our death, to give us your life. By faith, we receive that gift today. We're grateful for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So the Lord Jesus took the bread in his hands and after he blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. If you'll take your cup and open that side of the bread, if you've not already done so. Get that little wafer. Jesus talking about the people wandering the wilderness and God feeding them after they came out of Egypt in John chapter 6 was talking about how the manna sustained them there, but he was actually the bread which came down from heaven. So he said, pointing to himself, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, 
but he that eats this bread shall live forever. On that same night, our Lord took the cup. Having blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. If you'll take the top off of that, Lord, we know that not only was the body of our Lord broken, but he shed his blood. Because life is in the blood. You've told us from way back in the early chapters of Genesis, Lord, that in the blood we find life. And so this representation of what Christ has done to secure our salvation is so critical. The blood of Jesus doesn't merely cover sin as animal blood did, but it cleanses sin. And though our sin was as crimson, now it is white as snow. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Again, we pray this in his name. Amen. We read in Hebrews 9, according to the law, I may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. You may have wondered before when I've said that, why does it I may almost say? Again, there were provisions for grain and flour offerings. There were provisions for the very poor so that whosoever will could come to God. But... We also know that life is in the blood, and the writer of Hebrews says, apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness. But we read in 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Bible says that they sang a hymn together and they went out. Heather's going to come and she's just going to play a song of our faith for us. And I would ask you to do this. If you're a Christian, communion is always the perfect time, wherever you are, there or if you want to come here, to thank God for the gift of your salvation. That you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but God gave it to you as a gift. He didn't do it begrudgingly, he didn't withhold, he gave freely, lavishly, that's agape love. This is a perfect day to thank God again for the gift of salvation. If you are not a Christian, this is a perfect day to say, I want that and I need that. Cindy and I will be over here along with pastors and counselors. We would love to tell you how you can nail it down and know that you know that you know that you're a child of God today. You may have some burdens in your heart. There may be a little spirit of Cain you're fighting. There may be a, a little jealousy, uh, the things that we see unpacked that we'll, we'll get into deeper next week when we come back to the favor of God. Maybe today you just wanna pray, God, I need your favor, I beg you. I believe in you, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Maybe you just need to ask God, I need your hand in my life, I need your hand on my children, on my family. God, you know we're dealing with this or with that. You know we've got this challenge or that struggle. Faith is saying, God, I'll trust you when the sun is shining and it's beautiful out there. I will trust you in the raging storm when it looks like I'm going under. I'm gonna trust you here, I'm gonna trust you there. I'm going to believe that there's always a rainbow coming. God, I trust you, that is faith. And that is how you have the favor of God. Stand with me. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.